Maloney cuts into the slot to Vakoda. He scores! Mick Vakoda redirecting the pass in three to nothing. And Mr. Quick has an NHL hat trick to remember for a lifetime. Islanders country, hello, this is P.T. Isles, the alumni edition. I'm Isles Boggs, Joe Bono. A reminder, you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Please rate and review this show or listen on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, or over at nyislesblog.com. Our guest tonight was an Islanders fan favorite, playing parts of 10 seasons on the island, known as one of the best enforcers in the game. That's Mick Bacota, and he joins us now. Mick, welcome to the P.T. Isles podcast, and Thanks so much for joining us. My pleasure, Joe. How are you today? Doing all right. Excited uh, for Alumni Weekend happening um, at the Coliseum this Saturday. And that's where I want to start. Um, The Islanders, since their ownership has turned over to John Ledecky and Scott Malkin, they've really emphasized um, the Alumni Islanders. Alumni started a couple of years ago. Uh, As someone who spent uh, about a decade on the island, what does it mean to you as a former player to to kind of come back and, and have that sense of fraternity within the organization? Yeah, no, it's amazing. Um, it's our third, it'll be the third year that we've uh, actually attended it. And it's over, a little overwhelming and then, you know, in part humbling because, um, you know, Mr. Ledecky and Malkin, they, they make you feel um, like you've been a part of it the whole time. And for a lot of guys, uh, I think once they're, you know, they stopped playing, they, they left and they never really, um, you had bonds with your teammates, you had bonds with the, you know, the community and the people that you met, but I don't think the ne- they necessarily felt like that bond with the team. And, and this ownership group has definitely uh, rejuvenated that and made, I mean, every player, whether you play one game or, you know, 600 games, I think they've reached out to every single alum and offered them this opportunity to attend, which I think is amazing. Um, and it's it's very humbling. Yeah, I remember last year, Aris Bermanis, um, who did not play with the Islanders much, uh, you know, apparently enjoyed the uh, experience as much as anybody. Um, and like you said, I think Islander fans are, are used to seeing guys like Bobby Nystrom and Clark Gillies, who still live in the area, and Mike Bossy uh, constantly around the Coliseum. But it's got to be a thrill to see, you know, players from, from an era that maybe doesn't get as much attention, late 80s, early 90s. Um, what what uh, former teammates or, or just other Islander players do you get a kick out of a meeting when you go to these type of events? Uh, well, last year I saw Ken Baumgartner for the first time since we played together. Um, and we actually live probably less than 50 miles apart, but you know, your <laughs> lives don't interact. He's doing, he's doing a, a, you know, his thing. And I'm, I'm out here on an Island doing my thing on Martha's vineyard. And, and all of a sudden you get to see him and his wife, Aaron, who were, you know, good friends while we played. Um, I always look forward to seeing flatly. Um, Pat flatly was like a, you know, a huge mentor to me and, and a, still a good close dear friend that I trust um, and would, you know, if I needed anything, he'd be right there. And then I just got a text message from Darius Kasparitis saying that I look like uh, Marius in, in some advertisement. And he's like the poor, yep. the poor, poor Marius. So I'm looking forward to seeing Casper tomorrow because I haven't seen him in a few years. Yeah, the um, advertisement went out uh, to uh, Islander fans today and it has your face. And underneath it, it calls you the Polish Prince. Yes, that's what he said. He, that's exactly what his message to me was. Polish prince, ha ha. And I responded <laughs> with, I can make anybody look good. <laughs> so, but I also look forward to seeing Casper. He's one of my, he's always been one of my favorite people. Um, 
if from his rookie season, you know, obnoxious, cocky uh, rookie to, you know, just admiring the way he played the game and the way he changed the way other people played. Um, and that, so, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing Casper. Uh, what's what's maybe stick there with some of your time with that uh, team that went to the 93 conference finals? Certainly the Islanders have gotten over the hump now a couple times winning playoff series both in 2016 and last year. But the, you know, for a lot of fans who are around my age in their mid thirties, that team that went to the conference finals was, you know, the best Islander team that they remember um, growing up. And, um, you know, just take me back to that team, Al Arbor, of course, the coach, and, and you had some youngsters, Vladimir Malikov, of course, Darius Kasparaitis on defense, and, you know, some elite scoring with Pierre Turgeon and Steve Thomas. Just talk about that group overall and, and that very, very special run uh, through the Capitals and the Penguins. Well, I guess it was um, more than anything, it was a group, of, you know, and I was fortunate enough to be like a role player and, and you know, I was dressed, I think, for almost – all, all the playoff games except maybe two or three in the Montreal series or two in the Montreal series, but I didn't play a lot. I just got to be a part of that group. And what I recognized and appreciated and respected more than anything was them challenging each other. You know, there was no um, way of, you know, I'm a 10 year veteran, you're a rookie. It was just challenging each other every game, every day at practice to like, can you do this? Cause I'm, I'm prepared to go this far. Like, will you go that far? And there was a stretch during this season where um, Tersh got, Tersh was hurt for a bit before the playoffs and Benny Hogue stepped up and like took all the pressure off of Tersh by, you know, I think he had six shorthanded goals, uh, four power play goals in like a 25 game you know, span, like just was on fire while Terge was out. And, uh, you know, it was just like every guy kind of pushed each other to that next level to be like, uh, you know, I'm going to be better. Can you get better? Like, I'm going to, I'm going to be the best. Can you be the best? And it was a fun, unique experience because, you know, obviously no one gave us a chance against Pittsburgh when, when Terge went, you know, was, hit from behind in, in that last game against the Capitals. And I remember like getting off the bus in Pittsburgh and, and going like, we don't know any better. Like we actually think we can win. And that was that attitude in that group. And it was unique, special. And I truly, it's, it was, you know, it's a highlight of my career being a part of that group with those guys. Going back to the, you know, the infamous Dale Hunter hit on Pierre Turgeon, you know, where were you were on the bench at that point and someone like you, you know, and what your reputation was, what was your kind of visceral reaction, you know, to that? Did, did you see it or were you looking away? Did someone have to tell you what happened? Um, can you kind of bring us back to, to that moment? Yeah. So I was on the bench. I was, you know, um, within the last few minutes of the game and, and, I remember like looking over to someone next to me, like, you know, high-fiving and then him like, you know, I can't remember who it was, but it was like, whoa. And then watching, I remember seeing Rich Pilon, he was on the ice. Like, honestly, it looked like to me, he, he leapt eight feet into the air, like over a pile to try to get to Hunter. I mean, everybody went after him. You know, everybody that was on the ice that was there went after him. But I just remember, like, Rich Pilon, like, it looked to me like he'd lost his mind. Like, and then after the game, it was, you know, Al Arbor, like, 
we had a whole, Rich Pilon and I had a whole plan where the Capitals would walk by our lock. They have to walk by our lock room to get to the bus. And I would go hide in the, uh, we had a stick room, an equipment room. And then he would cause a disturbance from behind. And when all the security went to him, I would come out of the stick room and I would jump Dale Hunter. And then, I don't know, I guess security found out. So they ended up escorting him all the way around the long way instead of wow. coming by our locker room. And Al Arbor just like, was like, knocked like, I guess we thought we were pretty clever and pretty discreet, but Al Arbor was like, listen, I appreciate what you're trying to do. Knock it off. And we're like, what? Well, I'm just taking a stick. He goes, shut up, knock it off, go get dressed, go home. And and we were like, <laughs> all right. Like, but we, we had a plan um, to do something horrible and, you know, I don't want to see anybody get hurt, but whatever. I would have slept fine that night if I could have got my hands on them. <laughs> And you know what? That wasn't your only, you know, altercation. One that was you, that one that happened in the playoffs that you were more involved with, um, of course, happened uh, Islanders Rangers, I believe, 1990. Um, James Patrick of the Rangers, a hit on Pat LaFontaine, and and you and the aforementioned uh, Ken Baumgartner, you guys uh, ended up. Uh, I'm not sure if you ended up lighter in the pocket, but you you were suspended a- a- after that as well. Uh, t- can you can you take us through uh, your memory of that playoff altercation? Yeah, no, I, I remember Patty, you know, cutting across the middle. And, and James Patrick, I think it was a, a fairly clean hit, but it was Chris Nyland was, was hooking Patty from behind, kind of like tugging on him, which I think caused him to lose the puck and look down. And then that's when James, and I, again, I think James Patrick's hit was, I don't know if it was illegal, but I, I just know like it's game one of a playoff series on the road, happens to be Madison Square, you know, Square Garden, you know, the most hated rival that I have ever played against. And, you know, our best players getting carried off the ice on a stretcher, you know, helped off onto a stretcher. And uh, there was an icing call with some time to go on in our end. And we went out, we're the road team. Uh, I'll put out Bomber and myself and, and I think Brian Trotche was on the ice, Gary Nyland. And I can't remember who the left winger was, but it, you know, it, it wasn't like he put out like a bomber and I, he put us on the ice and then the Rangers responded with Mark Jansen's Chris King, Chris Nyland, Ron Greshner and Jeff Bloomberg. So, like in the bio, it doesn't say if anybody's an atheist or a born again Christian or a, a Jehovah's <laughs> Witness. Or it just says he's six two, two twenty. So I remember Bomber saying to me off the face off, like, "Who do you want?" And I was like, "I'll just grab Chris King." And he, Chris King's standing right there, like staring at us, like, "What?" And Bomber's like, "No, I want Chris King." And then I was like, I'm, "I'll go get Chris Nyland." And he's like, no, Gary Nyland's got Chris Nyland. I was like, can I just go to my point? Like, we literally had this Tourette's conversation in like three seconds. He's like, just go to your point. And as I was skating out to my point, I heard the crowd cheer. I figured Bomber had mess started the whole brawl. And what he did is he just shoved Chris King and he fell over. But I had my back to the play. So I was like, all right, my job is to take care of my guy. So I just wanted to go beat up Jeff Bloomberg and then go help my teammates win every other fight. Like that's how we were raised in this crazy Western hockey league in the eighties. And 
I did my job and I turned around and I was like the only one fighting. And I was like, what? Like, I think I'm in trouble. But I mean, it was a melee and it was a brawl and it was to send a message to the Rangers. Like, you know, don't, like, you're not going to, you, this is not going away. Like this series, we're not going away. Like we'll come to your house tomorrow and we'll do the same thing. 1990, where this is a, you know, definitely a bigger part of the game, accepted part of the game than certainly it is now. Um, are, were you shocked, surprised that the league ended up levying the fine and the, and the suspension after that? I mean, when, when that game ended, were you expecting the NHL to kind of come down and talk so uh, publicly about how much they opposed how that game ended? Yeah, no, honestly, I, I, I was, I'm very, I was at that time, I was very naive. I figured that was the norm. Like you should expect, I mean, you just finished watching Detroit, Colorado, you know, play, you know, that era of like Claude Lemieux hitting Chris Draper from behind and, and changing the way his face looked like, and the brawls and, and you just, so you just, I think from my perspective at the time, and I think Ken's was similar that, you know, you take one of ours, we take two of yours was kind of the mentality like you know not necessarily an eye for an eye more like an eye for two eyes and we <laughs> you know I don't know if we were crazy but we were just like that's how we were going to do it and we were going to do it there like that was the big thing like we knew we were coming back or we thought we were coming back to play but we wanted them to know like we're coming into your house and we're going to do this like if that's what happens to one of our guys this is what happens to all of your guys. And it was just kind of like we were trying to gain leverage and, and maybe some momentum in the series. To, because what you're hoping is that it makes other guys on your team that are skilled feel a little bit bigger, feel a little bit better, and give them some room. Because when something, you know, when you see Pat Lafontaine get carried off the ice, that definitely stops everybody, you know, it makes you human again. Mick Bakota is our guest, PTIL's podcast, and um, I want to stick with the Islanders-Rangers rivalry uh, for a moment because it's been a long time since this te- these two teams have played each other in the playoffs. 1994, uh, certainly a series that did not go well for the Islanders, but really there's a whole generation now of hockey fans that you know maybe that they go to these games and, and maybe the same luster and bluster isn't there uh, that, that once was. Um, Take us back to kind of what that rivalry meant as an Islander player representing, you know, the Suburbanites on Long Island against the city team, the Rangers, when, you know, there was a time when you guys were meeting in the playoffs and playing in the Patrick division, and that rivalry was, you know, not quite maybe what it was in the late 70s and and early 80s during the Islander Cup years and when the Rangers went to the finals in 79, but still extremely heated at that time. Yeah, well, I, it goes back to my rookie training camp. Um, I mean, every I'm sure every player fr- that comes from every, whether it's college or Ontario League or Europe, whatever, they have rivalries. But when our first training camp on Long Island, um, Bobby Nystrom coached the uh, rookie games. And, you know, the rookie games are played in the afternoon before a preseason game. Um, and... My first camp, we you know we we played the Rangers. I remember at home, uh, at the you know at the Coliseum, and Bobby and I was coaching us. And there were twelve, thirteen fights in the first period. And Bobby and I came in after the first period, and I've never seen him smile so big. 
Like he was like, Oh man, you guys are unbelievable. And we were like, you know, we were like, it was just one guy. I, I, there was Dean Ewan was there and um, Rod Dahlman. And we had Kerry Clark. Like we were all Dale Kushner. Like we were just, but we fought every, and the Rangers had all these like Rudy Postcheck and Mark Tenorti and all these guys that we played junior against. Now we were playing in a pre, you know, in a, in a, a rookie game for a parent team that we were trying to make. And it was just like mayhem. And we were ready to go again. Like we were in there, guys were putting Vaseline on and I came in and I just remember him like smiling and looking. He's like, boys, I don't think I've ever been prouder. And we were like, yeah, let's go do it again. <laughs> like, let's go. And he goes, unfortunately, some of these scouts and he points like above his head, you know, and he's like, coaches, they want to see if any of you guys can actually play hockey. And we're like, oh. So, <laughs> I mean, unless you absolutely have to, I'm going to ask you to go out there and not fight. I, I mean, if you have to, you got to stick up for each other. You know, I'm not telling you not to. But, you know, they're just trying to figure out which one of you guys can skate, maybe play and make a contribution, you know, to a hockey club. But I'm telling you, that was awesome. You guys are amazing. And I, I we, Rod Dahlman and I were sitting beside each other. We were like, we got Bobby Nystrom's, Nystrom's respect. Like, we made him happy. That's awesome. Like, our lives were made at that moment. We were like, and that's when that rivalry started, you know. Like, it was, I could feel the hatred from them. And it was, you know, tenfold going back. And especially going into the city, Um. You know, you take that ride in and, and go through the midtown and you just kind of felt like you were going into purgatory. Like, you know, it was just this grind of hell and and you wanted to be victorious um, and bring everybody back alive, kind of, you know, like make sure everybody was okay. And uh, Mick, you mentioned Bob Nystrom. Actually, we're recording this on Thursday and it's his 67th birthday. He looks like he can still play. Um, so I'm sure you'll see him over the weekend. He looks he looks just as fit as uh, as ever. Uh, Bobby Nystrom, Mr. Allen, are now 67 years old. Um, you know, you talk about getting the respect of Bob Nystrom and you guys just kind of over over your heads about that. You know, when you joined the team, a lot of the you know guys who have their jerseys up in the rafters at the Coliseum were, were still there. So um, for an undrafted you know free agent uh, that ends up now playing alongside future Hall of Famers. You know, were you were you awestruck? I mean, what was you know? Did you feel like you belonged? I mean, what was it like being around you know players that um, certainly you watched and and knew from afar for many many years prior? Yeah, it, it was it, it was amazing. I mean, I was lucky. Brent Sutter was captain. Um, Dennis was still there, but like um, Smitty was there, and it it, it was amazing. It, but you know, we finished in first place my first year and then lost to New Jersey uh, in that first round of the playoffs. And that kind of was like the, the you know, the the disassembly of, of, you know, certain components. And um, Terry Simpson was the head coach at that time, and he lasted like another year. And, um, and being around all those guys, understanding like that, that's what was expected you know, winning, competing, being your best was is what was expected. Like I, I remember Al Arbor's 
that for one of my first training camps, Al was still involved with the team, not coaching, and they had a training camp, Al Arbor Cup. So, you know, you had four teams and you scrimmaged and everybody put put 20 bucks into a hat and the winning team, they gave that money to their trainers. And I was on Pat LaFontaine's team and then I remember hearing like Billy Smith yelling in the hallway with Al Arbor and Al's like, Smitty, put your you know effing money in the basket. And Smitty's like, I'm not playing for money. <laughs> if I'm playing for money, somebody's going to get hurt. And Al's like, shut up, grow up, and put your money in the hat. And Smitty's like, okay, I'll put my money in the goddamn hat. And so he puts his money in the hat, and we're playing him, and Pat LaFontaine's in front of the net, and Smitty takes his stick and whacks him across the head. Like, knocks Patty out. And in, in camp, and I'm like, holy. And then I get a tap on the shoulder, like, go stand in front of the net. I'm like, what? I just saw what he did to, like, okay. So now I got to stand in front of the net and I'm just waiting. And as soon as I feel like him winding up, I, I turn and I just jump Smitty before he can hit me. And I'm like, this is insane. And you know what? Smitty's team won and he got the money <laughs> out of the four teams. <laughs> like he was psychotic about what money and winning. I'm listening to this with a big smile on my face. I'm sure a lot of our listeners uh, will too. These are fantastic stories. Um, let's let's go back a little bit now. Your first NHL game uh, for the Islanders, I believe, was against the Hartford Whalers. And and correct me if I'm wrong. You thought you were going to have your first NHL fight that night, but it didn't exactly happen that way, did it? Yeah, no, Joe. It was uh, it was a life a life changing experience for me. Um, First of all, I got called up. We just played in New Haven the night before. My parents happened to be visiting from Saskatchewan, so they're staying at my house, at the house I lived at in Springfield. Um, we came in from New Haven, and as we were getting off the bus, the equipment guy pulled my bag off to the side and, and was like, you're going to take this with you. And I was like, what? Because I, I thought I'm getting, I was getting sent to the IHL at the time. Like I was getting sent down. Mm-hmm. And I was like, come, like, all right. So I grabbed my bag, and they're like, Gordy Lane was our coach. He's like, he wants to talk to you. I go over, and Gordy's like, hey, you're playing in Hartford tomorrow. I'm like, "Who? who's in Hartford tomorrow? Like, I don't know any team in the <laughs> IHL that plays in Hartford. He's like, no, you're going up. I'm like, what? He goes, you're going up. You're playing in Hartford tomorrow. I'm like, oh, just losing my stuff. Like, I, I, I don't know what to say. So I grab my bag, I grab my sticks, I throw it in my Jeep, I run home. I can't sleep. My parents are in bed. It's like midnight. I'm like, Dad, Dad, I'm like playing in Hartford tomorrow. He's like, okay, stop drinking, go to bed, and one day you'll make it. <laughs> and I'm like, no, no, I mean tomorrow. <laughs> and he's like, go to bed. And I, I, whatever. I'll have my roommates explain it to him, which was Todd McClellan and Rod Dahlman. I'm like, you guys explain to my parents, like, I'll leave tickets or I'll, whatever. So I get there, and I'm like, you know, I'm playing on a third line in the, in the American Hockey League. I figure, you know, I'm going to be on a fourth line in the NHL. And we don't morning skate. We just have the meal, um, get to the rink, and I see the lines. And I'm on, like, a line with Brent Sutter and Greg Gilbert, like the, the second line. Uh, I'm like, well, that's not, that's like a mistake. Somebody's, they must be screwing with me. 
And then I go out for warm-up and, like, warm up with those guys. And then I'm like, holy shit, like, I'm going to play. I'm not, like, just fighting. Um, and we get there. And now we're up, we're up three to two. I've played a regular shift for two and a half periods. And we're up three to two. And it's in front of Hartford's bench. Uh, we're out first. So they send out their line. And Tiger Williams is on the, he lines up beside me and he nudges me and he's like, you want to go kid? And I'm like, holy <laughs> Dave Tiger Williams. I, my, I'm like, my buddies back home are probably losing their shit right now. Like they're like losing their minds. He's going to fight Dave Tiger Williams, his first NHL fight. So I don't even look at him. I just nod. And then I watch the linesman. I don't even think he flinched. It looked like he was going to drop the puck. And I just threw my gloves and stick and turned around to fight. Nobody. He skated away. And the play was going on. And like one glove is by our bench. The other glove's by the penalty box. I just like grabbed the glove, grabbed the stick. I'm trying to back check because he's actually my, my guy. And as I enter the zone, he scores to tie it 3-3. So I skate back to the bench in great shame. Terry Simpson's staring at me like I'm, <laughs> I, I'm probably going to get killed later that night. And uh, that night, the team's leaving. They used to bus from Hartford. So, you, you know, you, you pack up your bag. The trainers grab your bag. And I'm watching everybody's bag get taken except mine. And I'm like, well, they probably didn't see it. So, like, I push it in front of the trainer, and he, like, walks around it. And I'm like, that's weird. So finally the trainer's like, hey, the coach wants to talk to you. And I walk over there and Simpson's like, yeah, you're not coming to New York. You're going back to Springfield. Um, he goes, that's probably the dumbest thing I've ever actually witnessed. And I was like, yep. And he said, uh, but keep doing what you're doing in the minors and we'll try to get you back. And that was it. I, my parents were there. Uh, my first game, my like, you know, First experience of trying to fight somebody was Dave Tiger Williams, and he hosed me and cost me a trip back to the minors. A <laughs> um, couple more questions for Mick Pakoda, and uh, again, we really appreciate this um, this time here. Uh, now, maybe the offensive, well, not maybe, the offensive highlight of your uh, professional life, October 20th, 1989 in D.C., uh, a natural hat trick, um, got a fight in that game as well. You know, going to the rink that day, did anything feel different? Did anything happen that made you feel like, you know, I'm, I'm actually going to have a, an offensive explosion uh, here tonight in, in Landover? No, but I did have this conversation with Patty. Like, I think we played at home and then flew out to Washington. And, like, I, early in my career, I used to really get bummed out if I didn't play. Like, I wanted to play. It's not that I didn't, like, I love fighting, but I just wanted to play and fight. Um, and so if I didn't get ice time, um, I felt like, you know, I'm doing all this work. I'm willing to do anything. Can I just get a shift, like a regular shift, you know? Like, and so I, I think I was basically feeling sorry for myself. Um, and Pat LaFontaine sat beside me on the bus and was like, hey, I see you're down. He goes, you know, what you do for us isn't measured by ice time. 
and I like looked at him and I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, like, when you're there, I'm bigger. I feel bigger. I feel better. I know if anybody's going to try to take, you know, take me out, do take a cheat, that you're going to be there and you're going to stop it and you're going to make things right. And I was like, all right. So like Pat LaFontaine's got nothing better to do, but cheer me up. <laughs> like, and I remember thinking like, you know, that meant a lot to me that a teammate of his stature <clears throat> would take the time to, you know, tell me what I should already know that, you know, I do what I do because that's my job. And my teammates always, all of them always made me feel appreciated. Guys always like, you know, you go to dinner and, and, and you're not making as much money as everybody else. The guys are like, I got your dinner. Like there, there was so many things about it that made me feel good. And I guess it culminated that night where I went to bed in Washington and I didn't feel anything special the next day. I just, the first one went in and then I went back. I was like, woo. And then Al put us out and the, the second one went in and then he left us out. And then I just skated to the net like you're told to do every day. And the third one went in and I was like, holy, shit, here we go. So it was nothing unique except that it, that happened. You know, which was obviously uh, have the puck of the of the hat trick. Is is that something that uh, they were able well, to say for you? Somewhat, yeah. So the trainer brought it to me, and it was the third puck, the third the hat trick puck. And you know, guys in hockey have a great sense of humor. So the puck was not round when I re- you know I received it. Someone had cut <laughs> some of the edges off it, saying that that was the damage that was done on the way to the back of the net. And I was like, yeah, that's possible, but hey. It's in the net. The big piece went in. That's all that matters. Um, but, yeah, it was pretty cool. And, you know, the, 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 back, the background to that story is the Capitals invited me to camp the year before. And when I was about to sign, prior to signing with the Isles, there was the Capitals, the Islanders, Philadelphia, a couple other teams involved. And, and I said I wanted to go back to the Capitals because they gave me a tryout when no one else would. And that's all was always a big part of my persona was being loyal. You know, I never left the aisles for more money. I never tried free agency. I never, you know, I always asked my agent to, you know, I'd take less money. I just wanted to stay in New York. Like they gave me my shot and that, and I did the same with the capitals and they were like, uh, we don't believe that you have other teams interested. So they're like, we're going to let you, you know, go ahead. And so when I signed with the Isles and then, you know, inadvertently had the hat trick against Washington, Brian Murray was still the coach of the Capitals when I went to their camp. And he came out and walked under where we leave for the bus and was waiting for me when I was leaving and just shook my hand and patted me on the back of the head. He was like, nice job, kid. Mick, obviously known for um, your fighting, like you've said. Obviously, uh, the game has changed a lot from them. But, um, you know, you have the, the joy of YouTube to go back and watch uh, some of your sparrings uh, over the course of the year, certainly. Um, out of the guys you fought, Ty Domi and, and uh, Randy McKay and Joey Koser, I mean, who, who was uh, maybe the most fun to fight and who was the, the toughest uh, fight for you? Uh I know a lot of those guys. So Ty, Ty was Ty Domi was like. I mean, I didn't believe it until I fought him. Like his head was like 
nothing I'd ever hit before in my life. Like you actually felt pain in the middle of the fight. If you hit him on top of the head, like whether, I don't know, he had a plate. I don't know, but the kid had the hardest head ever. And it was his part of his strategy. Like he would let you hit him. And then once he knew you were hurt, your hands were hurt. He, he would just fire back. And so he was, he was a tough, he was very, you know, he was hard to fight because it was hard to hurt him. If you can't hurt somebody, it's hard to win the fight. Um, other than that, like, I don't know, I guess, like, I hated, uh, I still do, Rob Ray in Buffalo. But that's, you know, it was personal because he said something to Al Arbor while Al was coaching and I was on the bench. Um, and I think Al almost killed me because I called somebody off the ice that I wasn't supposed to replace and I chased him up and down the ice to fight him. And then I wanted to fight him in the hallway and I wanted to fight him. I, I wanted to fight him at a bar. I wanted to fight him at there. I just, I wanted to fight him. So, because it, what, what, his comment was something like, Al, why don't you retire? These guys don't play hard for you. And I just remember looking like nobody talks to Al Arbor like that. Like his own players would never talk to him. His former players would never talk to him. And some POS with a, you know, Velcro jersey, shoulder pad, baby fat, pudgy little chunky face is going to talk to our coach like that. That was like, absolutely not. I will get suspended. I will get banned. I don't care. I'm getting him. And uh, Lauren Henning was the assistant coach at the time. And he was like, you know, you can't take things like that personal. And I'm like, dude, that, I, that's, that's, that's beyond personal. Like if I saw Rob Ray today, I'd poke him in the eye just to see if he would swing. Like, I can't stand him. So. Make you talk about Al Arbor as your head coach, but uh, certainly that wasn't the only head coach you had with the Islanders. You talked about Terry Simpson being the head coach, um, and then, of course, Mike Milbury for a period of time, and, and also in the AHL, I think, uh, you know, Butchie coached you as well. Yeah, when I got sent down at the end of my career, when I, you know, had my headbutt with Mike Milbury and I got sent to the minors, um, the first game, like Butch Goring was coach and Butchie was so happy for me to be there. He was like, oh, like played me on the first line, first unit power play. And I think it was halfway through the first period. I like, I didn't realize I had a two on one. So I just gr- crossed, the, crossed the red line and dumped the puck in. And the crowd was like, <laughs> oh. And then I got to the bench. And I'm like, what, what, what happened? And they're like, Butchie goes, I don't know how things work up in the NHL kit, but here in the uh, American Hockey League, uh, when we have an odd man rush, we try to generate a scoring opportunity. And I go, what do you mean? But she goes, man, that was a two-on-one. I was like, oh, my God. I'm so sorry. I was so used to just gain the red line, dump it in, and go get it. You know, that's what I did. Well, Mitch, final question for me. I could probably do another hour with you. Um, but uh, final question you know, you were with the Islanders, 95, 96, parts of 97, the Fisherman jersey era. And even back then, they were talking about yeah. a new arena for the Coliseum. But now it's finally happening. So for someone that I know lives in the Massachusetts area, uh, but still kind of keeps an eye on what the Islanders are doing, what does this mean um, for the franchise that they're finally going to get their brand new modern arena that they can call their own? Yeah, I guess guess it's validating, like, you know, the commitment that all the fans, you know, the diehard um, fan base that has, you know, made the transition from, you know, the Coliseum to to 
Barclays to back to the Coliseum to, you know, just wanting their own identity, their own place to, to be. And then I think like, you know, the situation in Belmont's going to be ideal. There's, I mean, we're going to see it on Saturday. So I, I've only read and, and, you know, that's where I've gained my information, but it looks like it. And I've seen the architectural plan. It looks like it's going to be amazing. Um, but I, I guess it's the valid, you know, validating the fact that, you know, Long Island has an NHL hockey team that's supported by the people of Long Island. And I'm happy. I couldn't be, I mean, I'm ecstatic for them. I think it's going to be awesome. Well, Mick, I think Saturday night's going to be awesome, reminiscing with former uh, teammates and, and um, you know, other, other Islander alumni. I think it's great what the, fan, what the uh, owners have done. I think the players enjoy it. I think fans love it, too. So have a great time on Saturday night on the island, and we very much appreciate some time going through memory lane here tonight. Thanks, Joe. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you.